0: Open your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3. Typically, we're walking through a book of the Bible at a time, and we will be doing that again, but in January, I thought it would be good for us to come back and look at this idea of what it really means to be a biblical and intergenerational church and to unpack what our core values really are. We are Lawndale and we are His, but what does it really mean to be we are Lawndale? What does it mean to identify ourselves in this church family? What is God doing in us? What is he doing through us? Where do we see ourselves going in this year 2023? As a staff and as a church, we measure what we do by these core values. We measure what we spend. We measure how we use our time as a staff and what we do on the calendar by who we are and the core values that we hold to. So this morning, again, we'll be talking about we value biblical worship. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word? Colossians chapter three. I'm gonna back us all the way up to verse five and I will read through verse 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You may be seated. I have a fair number of my family here with me this morning. And a while back, I asked one of my grandsons if he would pray for our church family. And I have another grandson this morning that I'm going to ask, Levi, would you pray for us this morning as we hear the word of God that will take it to heart and be obedient to that. God, thank you for this day. <clears throat> thank you that you're your senior son Jesus down the cross for our sin. And thank you that we get to come together here and learn about Jesus' word, God's word, and for us to take it into our hearts and meditate on it. And amen. Amen. Thank you, Levi life should be lived as an offering to god we worship him by this offering we give 24 7 our lives when we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb when we have been saved when we have been adopted in the family of god our lives aren't ours anymore our lives in their totality should be lived for the glory of God in worship of God. Our lives should be an offering to God. So what makes that different than gathering together weekly on Sundays, the Lord's Day, to worship with the church family? Well, I would say we gather for the glory of God and the good of the church. We gather for the glory of God and the good of the church. You you see, there's a priority list here of, of why we gather. We gather to honor Him, to worship Him, to praise Him. This God who created the universe and created all of us, He made us out of His generosity so that we could enjoy Him, so that we could know Him, so that we could walk with Him. That's why we're here on earth. Have you ever thought about that before? Why am I here on earth? You didn't just evolve, pop up, happen. You're not here by coincidence or by accident. You're here because God designed you to be here on this earth. And from the beginning with Adam and Eve, he created them to know him and to enjoy him. The greatest good, God himself, put us here on earth to walk with him, to know him. And that's what life should be. We get so distracted in what one famous theologian said, our hearts are idol-making factories. We're worshipers, but oftentimes we're worshiping the wrong things. We're giving priority to the wrong things. What's important to us is so much less significant than the things of God. Those become idols. You look back over this last year, some of you joined us in reading through the New Testament. Thank you for that. I hope it was a blessing to you. But you had to prioritize some things and put God at the center of your life and at least give him some time each day to read his word. You had to lay some things down. And that's part of following Christ where we give our time to him. God, this is this, these 24 hours every day that you give me, these are yours, these are not mine. I've been bought with the price. I'm not my own anymore. I'm I'm yours. And so he has commanded us in his word that we would gather together as his people, as a family, so that we could enjoy him more. We could enjoy him together. You see I can pray on my own. But there's something different when I pray with my wife and I bring her into My relationship with God and we have a relationship with him together. Or when we gather our whole family together and we pray together, there's there's something different. It changes dynamics and we're growing now together. And when we come together as a church family and we focus on who God is and we worship him and we glorify him, it's life-changing because you become more like what you worship. Or as we're saying this morning, you become more like who you worship. And if God is first in your life and you've laid down the idols of life and said, God, I'm yours and not my own anymore, then you will be growing in your relationship with him. We also gather to build up believers. I know sometimes we get this, I think, wrong because it's first and foremost about God. And then it's about encouraging believers. It's it's about fellowship. Uh, Even when you come in, one of the reasons that we're greeting people is that part of how God meant for us to meet together is to fellowship together, to encourage one another. And so hopefully you're spoken to and if you're not if you came in this morning or you leave this afternoon and you did not get spoken to or greeted, let me know. Because I, I I don't think that happens at Lawndale. I think people love one another and we're a family and we greet one another. There's fellowship, there's encouragement, there's equipping as we open up the Word of God. And that's what God means for the church gathering to be. Now, on another level... It's a responsibility of one generation to pass down to the next generation the importance of gathering together to worship God and encourage one another. That's another priority. We're, we're doing this for the glory of God, but we're, and we're doing it for the good of the church, each, each person as we gather together, but not just those who are gathering together now, but the next generation who will follow us. And I'm very concerned that we're not doing as good a job with the next generation as we should. The devaluing of gathering as a church family has really ramped up over the last, I know we could say the last two years, but I would say there's been a slide in the last 20, 30 plus years of devaluing the church and when we devalue the church, we get in trouble because God values it. You say, well, how much, how much does he value? Well, he values it by the, what he paid for it. And he paid for the church with the blood of his son. It tells me God values the church and he values the gathering. He commanded us and it's a part of the priority that we would be passing that down to the next generation. But we also gather because it's a testimony to unbelievers Even in 1 Corinthians, it talks about when you gather, there will most likely be unbelievers who are present. Now, we don't pattern our services and we don't shape our services so that unbelievers are are attracted to our church. That would be getting it all backwards. We're we're wanting the glory of God. We're we're wanting to praise and put God first. And then we want to equip the believers and encourage and fellowship But when people who have not yet placed their faith in Christ, when they come and they see our love for God, and they see our love for one another, it's a testimony. And God uses that. They sit under the preaching of the word, and they they encounter people who love God and who will love them, and it, it changes people's lives. So we gather for the glory of God and the good of the church. Do you think... The believers in the first century gathered, there's no question, without a doubt they gathered. Even when you read from a a letter like this, the the letter to the Colossians, it would be read when they gathered together. And other letters would be read as they gathered together and they would be instructed by the pastors and the teachers and the elders who would oversee the church Certainly they gathered. And when you think about their gathering, they realized how needy they were. How important it was that they would gather. Paul wrote to the church of Colossae because they were being bombarded with worldly pressures. And that oftentimes happens in churches too, not just individuals. But as the individuals leave the church, they're being Pressure to buy into the world's values and the world's principles and the way the world thinks and does things. And so they gather together and be refreshed and renewed and recharged so they can go back out into the world and do the work of making disciples. But even churches, if we're not careful, we can let the world seep in. And sometimes we talk about consumerism, sometimes we talk about conformity to the world. Because it's real easy to buy into the world's way of doing things. Paul was writing them because they were, they were being pressured by the world. The ideas of the world are, are plausible. I, I've always, when I, when I read through Colossians, I, I always think about chapter 2 verse 4 as being one of those key verses of this whole letter. He said, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's a key verse for us. It was a key verse in this letter because they were being pressured by the world. And sometimes what the world says makes sense. And you get, well, you give them credit because they have put together a logical argument. But we're a biblical church. And I, I think we can think clearly and logically about what is in the Bible. But there are several ideas for a number of things. People can have a number of ideas about a certain topic. So if all of them seem to be plausible, you got all these arguments and they all seem to be plausible, which one are you going to take? Are you going to go with the world or are you going to go with what the Bible says, what God has inspired? And so we have to make some choices with that. What what the world says and what is plausible, what it well, this idea makes sense, this idea makes sense, this idea makes sense. And all things considered, now, which one am I going to go with? And so Paul was trying to tell them some important things about their church, even when they gathered. The church gathering for the people in Colossae was not optional. It wasn't just out of convenience, but it was a lifeline for them. As to their faithfulness to God, their They're being renewed to walk with God and to continue to do the work of God that he had given them. And even when you move into chapter 3 and you get the context of, of where we're trying to get to this morning, he first tells them how we live. This is how followers of Christ live. This is what they put to death in their lives. And again, when I think and I hear that statement, put to death, that doesn't sound painless it means there are going to be some things that you're going to have to not deny yourself of. There are going to be things that maybe you don't necessarily like that God says, this is what I want for you. We know it's always good because God is always good. We, we've had 11 grandkids around our house at different times this, this last week. And there are times their parents have told them to do something that they didn't like. They, they didn't really want to do that. Almost every night... When it's time to go to bed, I don't see any of them, hey, sign me up first, <laughs> right? Some of you other kids who are here you, and parents, you get that. But you know when they don't get sleep, it, it changes their lives that day. And so there are some things that God tells us that we don't necessarily like or that we don't want, but we know God is good and he's always gonna tell us what we need to hear And and so he tells us how to live, what what to put to death in our lives and what we should put on, the kind of uh, clothing and dress that we should wear as Christians and how we treat each other even. It's interesting because he talks about the one another's and the one body in that text down into verse 15 before we get to our our key text this morning. And so he's talking to the church. He's talking about the church, how they should live, how they should treat each other. And then there's this section about what you do when you meet together. And we're not really given so many details about particulars of, you know, there's not a set order of worship for every service that a church has. There are not definite songs at the Bible hey you know if you don't sing this song then you're not a church you know they're, they're not certain songs that you have to sing and they're not there's not a set order of worship but there are principles here that we cannot let go we cannot move away from from the old testament from the time of Jesus in the early church I would say to you, one of those things that a church cannot let be optional, cannot let slide, cannot fall short of, is focusing on this book in its gatherings. This is a large part of the worship service when we open up this book. You've heard people say, we're, we're going we're gonna to worship first and then we're going to get our Bibles out. No, we're gonna, we're gonna keep on worshiping when we get our Bibles out, right? Whether we're singing, whether we're studying, this is the worship of God and the, the, the people of God in the Old Testament before Christ came and the people of God in the New Testament after Christ came, this this revealed word of God, they only had a certain part of it in the Old Testament, they had the law, but as God gave us more and even as the canon was closed we see the early church worshiping and we see them coming back to the apostles' doctrine, the Word of God, what has been inspired. And so the Bible is foundational. That's the first key thought about biblical worship. The Bible is foundational. We, we call it biblical worship because we're coming to the Bible for principles. We're coming to the Word of God. And when you get to verse 16 of Colossians 3 it says it very clearly, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think there's a personal note of that, isn't there, for all of us? Let the What a great prayer. God, would you let your word dwell in me richly this year? As I'm reading through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and I quit and jump over. No, as I keep going through, I'm, that's definitely a joke. As I keep reading through the Old Testament, God, would you let your word dwell in me richly? Help me to understand it and apply it to my life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, but it's also a corporate calling. How do you know that, Rodney? Well, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The Bible is foundational It it is personal and individual, but it's also corporate. It's the word of God to the people of God. It's what we eat. We need it on a daily basis. You've heard it said before, we, we would never think about eating one big meal and letting it last us all week. Some people do that with Sunday. They come to church and they get one meal from the word of God, and then they don't eat again until the next Sunday. And spiritually, they're weak, and they're anemic, when it comes to the battles and the fights and the wars and the living life day to day because they're not getting any spiritual sustenance. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what we have in the Bible. This is all scriptures inspired. It's God breathed. It's from the mouth of God. And And so when we meet together, we're gonna open up the word of God. I heard someone say, you know, I really like that we stand when we read the Bible at the beginning. person said, that's my gem each Sunday morning when we stand and read the Word of God. One reason we do it is because we want people to, to be reminded to, to reverence the Word of God. We don't worship a book. We worship a person. We worship God. But how does God reveal himself? Through this book. And so when we... Read it, we reverence it. This is the very words of God. This is coming from the mouth of God. This is coming from the heart of God. These are the words of God. Do you want to think God's thoughts? Read this book. You want to know what God thinks? Read this book. And so when we open it up in a service like this, we're, we're saying, God, we don't know how to live our lives. It's confusing. There are a lot of options out here in how to live a life. And a lot of it makes sense. But God, you know all. In your word, you never change and therefore your word never changes. And so what the apostles taught is as true today as it was back then. What Jesus said is as true today as it was when the words came out of his mouth. What the prophets said, we could go on and on and on. It's, it's true for us. It's foundational for us. And pastors must teach the word of God and handle the word accurately and faithfully. I love it when I see you come in with your Bibles because I'm saying you're going to be checking me out today. Is he really preaching from the Bible today? Is is he is he really on that text? Is he is he true to what the Word of God says or not? I, I want you to follow along with me. I want you to check it out. I want you to be discerning. I'm I'm errant. The Bible is inerrant, and when we come to the Word of God, we get the truth that He means for us. And my job, my what I'm going to give an account for one day when I stand before God, in part, is how I bring the Word of God to the church each week. Just a, a couple of books before Colossians, Ephesians chapter four. This is this is really my life verse. This is what I'm reminded of regularly in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. That word also means pastors. Greek uh, could be translated pastors. The pastors and teachers. Why did God give these offices to the church? Verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's, that's why we, we gather to build up the body, to equip the saints. Why do the saints need to be equipped? Because we're like that aircraft carrier that continues to send people out into their homes and their neighborhoods and all the way to the nations. We, we want to be that kind of people. Because that's what God's called us to be and that's what God's called us to do. And pastors equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equips husbands and wives and parents and grandparents, employers, employees. Equips neighbors. Equips all people who are followers of Christ to do the work of God. It's the ministry of the word. So, so the Bible's foundational. Now it is from God and the Bible has one story. As you read through your Bible this year and whatever plan that you're going to use, remember the Bible is one story. God out of His generosity and for His glory gave salvation to us. It's, it's the gospel. God created us, put us on here on earth to enjoy him, we sinned, all of us, in and Adam and Eve, and, and then in our own lives, we sinned. God, we, we sinned. God had a plan of redemption all along so that we could be restored and walk with him and enjoy him, and that's through Christ. The Bible has that one story. It's the gospel, and, and two parts. The Old Testament that looks forward to Christ. that tells us he's coming, a deliverer, a savior, a rescuer. And then the New Testament that delivers him. The promise of Christ and then the deliverance of Christ. He comes and it tells us he will come back again. There are two parts to this, this book that we read. There are three means to grow in the word. From the pulpit, it's why we meet regularly. It's why we meet weekly But also in small groups where we encourage everybody to be a part of a life journey group or a deed group. Some type of group so that you can discuss the word and grow and encourage one another. And then one-on-one where we try to tell everybody you should have a Paul in your life, somebody's a little further along. You should have a Barnabas in your life who's walking uh, with you in life about the same place. And then a Timothy, somebody that you're pouring into one-on-one. And there are seven interactions that you have with the word of God. We hear it, teaching, preaching, we read it. It's what we do each day in our Bible reading time. We study it, we memorize it, we meditate on it, we sing it, and we pray it. All of this because it's the word of God and how he's revealed himself to us. We, we are a biblical church. We have been a biblical church, and we must protect the church so that it will always be a biblical church. If you ever attend a church and the Bible's not the prominent and authoritative means of what that church does and who that church is, run from it. Some of you will move away from the Greensboro area. I hope none of you do. We're not inviting anybody to move. We've had enough people who've moved, right? Right? If you ever do and you're looking for a church, find one that's going to focus on the Word of God. When we have college students who go away, or we have military people who go to different regions and areas, we're always trying to help them think through, where is a biblical church? Where is one that's going to teach the Word of God? Don't just say, go to church. I think now we have to clarify and say, go to a biblical church. There are a lot of churches out there that I don't think have... Really, the right to call themselves churches because they're not following Christ and they're not following His Word. We are a biblical church and we must be willing to even die to be a biblical church. We study the Scriptures together. But what comes out of that? What comes out of studying the Scriptures together? Well, we sing together too. I think people who get steeped into the scriptures and grow, even though they may not sing very well, it just comes out. Sometimes it comes out in your car, doesn't it? Some of you who sing terrible, you sing in the car, you sing in the shower, you sing places. Because there's something that bubbles up out of all of us. Something makes us happy. And we we just try to train you at Lawndale to let the the Biblical songs bubble up out of you. If you're in the Word, that's what's going to bubble out. It's going to come out and, and there's going to be uh, some way of expressing that. Now, when you go back to Colossians chapter 3, you see in uh, again in verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God you see when you begin to grow closer to God and you begin to see what he's done for you and who he is there's this kind of overflow we meet together and you're taught doctrine and truth the word of God and sometimes you're admonished you're convicted you you know you're not where God wants you to be we gather together to to make sure we're uh, in part right with God but then as we're growing in our relationship with him We're singing to him. We're singing about him. We're singing to be a blessing to the people around us. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we're not singing any hymns they sang back then in our services. Now, we sing a couple of older hymns today. And we try to sing at least one older hymn every Sunday because we know that serves a part of our congregation who loves hymns who were, that were written in the 1800s or 1900s. You know, there's one, my, one of my favorite hymns is, I hope I'm getting the right century, <laughs> 1500s. Isn't that when uh, uh, A Mighty Fortress was written? Mighty Fortress? Okay, okay, I'm getting, so at least Lynn and I are on the same page with that. But it's a great hymn. And, and then there's a sense in which we sing that we're joining People from all ages, because of the way that they've sung to God and the principles that they've they've sung about in the person of God, in the Old Testament, there's a there's a hymn book, Psalms, and these were sung. Now, I don't think any of you want to sing them the way they sung them back then, because I mean they used a lot of different kinds of instruments and they used. Uh, uh, chants and you know later on in the history of the church and they were they were sung in hebrew and i mean we're, we're not going to sing them all like they sung them but they were a singing group the the people of god have always been a singing wor- a group that worships god through song not just through the word but but through song as well they sang in the temple And there were instructions on how they worship. when you read through the book of Psalms. And even in the New Testament, they they sang a hymn after they took the Last Supper. Some passages appear to be hymns that were sung, like Philippians 2. uh, Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then you just kind of see in verses 6 and following. And there are a couple of passages like that. Uh, in first and there's one in First Timothy as well, and they appear to be hymns that might have been sung in the early church, and and so we sing we sing hymns that have been written through the ages, and we sing some that are new as well, and then it's interesting, the Bible actually says that it sing a new song to the Lord. Well, what's a new song? Well, one that wasn't sung sometime in some period of history until now. And God has has brought some great hymn writers to bear in this time that we're living in. And I want you to hear that we're very selective in the songs that we sing. We we have two or three sets of eyes that we're looking at the theology of the song. We're looking at, is this a a hymn, whether it's an old hymn or a new hymn? Is is it a, a spiritual song, one that... Helps us to to grow closer to God and be more of what he wants us to be. We've worked hard to try to be a singing church because I believe that's what God means for us to be. And when Noah, who I think has done a fantastic job of coming in and trying to help bring uh, some different styles together and tried to help us to be more of a singing church, we, we, we don't want to set performers on a stage. We want, to, we want to have people who help the whole congregation to sing so that we're all singing. Isn't it a wonderful, don't you think it just blesses the heart of God? when his people are all singing together, lifting up his praises. Don't, don't you have to imagine that's what it was like in the people of Israel when they were marching along and they were singing these songs or when they were gathered in the temple and they were singing these psalms. Can, can't you just imagine what that was like? And even this morning as we were singing together, what a blessing to hear the voices of God's people join together you see, we're singing unto God, but there's a sense in which this is for the blessing of each other. It's not just an audience of one, but God means for us to encourage one another. And when I hear you sing, and I'm encouraged. I hope when you hear me sing, you're encouraged, because we're we're offering our praise to God. The Bible is foundation. Singing is natural. It's the heart song. Of, of of God. It's a heart language. It's showing that we enjoy him and that it just bubbles out over because we're focused on who he is and singing to him. The Bible's foundation, singing is natural. The praying is indispensable. I like how Paul told the church at Colossae in verse two of chapter four, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and he talks some more about it, but but it 's that idea of being steadfast in prayer it 's that same idea of acts two uh, verse forty two and they continue steadfastly in the apostle 's doctrine and prayer it's you, you see so much of that the word of God and and then prayer to God praying is indispensable, we depend on him. Back in First Timothy chapter 2, or really ahead in, in the canon of Scripture, First Timothy chapter 2, remember he told the church when they gathered to pray for all of those who are in authority. It, it was expected that when the church gathered, they would pray. Even Jesus, when he came to God's people in the temple, he said, you guys, you, you've made this something more, uh, different than what God intended. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer it 's indispensable, it shows our dependence on God, and whether we take parts of the model prayer, I think about the praise that is given to God in prayer. I think about the prayers for the kingdom of God to be expanded and His will to be done. I think about that God would meet our needs, our daily bread, that God would would Forgive us our sins, the confessions that are made, and help us in the battles with our temptations and the evil one. I think about these are the kinds of prayers. Not only do we pray alone, but we pray together, our Father in heaven. Praying is indispensable. It should be a part of who we are and what we do when we gathered together as the people of God. I think if we prayed more, we would see the hand of God more. Sometimes I I ask people, "I wonder what God's not doing in your family because you're not praying. What's God not doing in your church because you're not praying? What's God not doing in our community because we're we're not praying?" I think there are five non-negotiables for biblical worship. Here's where we're headed in 2023: expositional preaching. We're modeling what it means to read your Bible and understand the Word of God by going verse by verse through books of the Bible at a time. Even in a series that's more topical like this, we're doing exposition of Scripture, an exegesis, an exposition of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3. Expect expositional preaching. That's where we have to set our feet. That's our foundation. And anything less means that we're not hearing the word of God. We're not hearing the mind of God. We're hearing someone else's thoughts and ideas. We're committed to congregational singing, raising our voices, encouraging you more and more to sing. Whether you're at home and you're having a family devotion singing, or whether you're gathered with the church and we're singing together, congregational singing, we're committed to theologically rich songs. We're not going to sing just any song. There are some old hymns that have bad theology. There are some new songs that have bad theology. We're going to be committed to theologically rich songs we're going to have scripture reading and prayer because that's what First Timothy said. Uh, Paul told Timothy, "Devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture and, and to prayer." We're, we're going to—that's going to be important to us as we go through twenty twenty three and the weekly gatherings. We're committed to the weekly gatherings. I want to encourage you in this new year. I've asked you already to commit to reading your Bible over twenty twenty three. Take one of the reading plans. But I'm going to ask you to commit to being faithful to God's people, the church. It's faithful to Him because He's commanded you, but it's also faithful to each other. We're an intergenerational church, but I also want to be next generational. I don't want to skip a generation because one group didn't think church attendance was very important. The gatherings, the people of God to worship God and and to grow the church Uh, And to equip the church. They didn't think it was important. So the next generation comes. And they don't even come at all. What good have we done in that sense of being next generation? God's too great and good to fail him in this. You know that. God's too great and too good to fail him in this. I love my kids and my grandkids too much to fail them in this. Not to model it. And encourage them. I love this church. Do you not love this church? I love this church and the church too much to fail her. It's been purchased by the blood of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Do we not love him and his church too much to fail him and the church? In this new year, wouldn't it be good if instead of coming to church, I were thinking, well, I've done my good deed for this week? Or, Well, I did God a favor this week. I went to church. Wouldn't it be good to say, man, I need to hear the word of God. I need to be with the people of God. I want to honor God who's loved me and done all of this for me. I want to come and offer praise with his people because of all that he's done for me. You see Colossians 3.17 how it ends this section and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you called me to be your pastor I think you knew you were not calling a celebrity pastor for a number of reasons. But I'm going to ask you Make sure we don't think we're a celebrity church. We are Lawndale, but we're his. We're not ours. We're about his his work. We're about his business. And we want to see his kingdom grow here, our sister churches, this city. We want to see his work expand and grow. Let's do this together with me. Father, we thank you for your word, how powerful it is, how true it is, how clear it is about what your design and plan is. I pray that as we move into this new year that we would settle for nothing less than biblical worship. That we would dwell richly in your word as a people that it would be clear when people come into this place that these people love you and love your word and study your word and listen to you and follow you and obey you and that we love each other. God, would you do that in this body more than ever? Would you do it more and more over the course of this year in Jesus